electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The great debate over stocks. Is this as good as it gets, or are we in a sweet spot for your money? Big question. This is one well-known bull is getting a little worried about the markets. We'll talk about that. We'll debate it with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. John Nigerian's here, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown. Let's go to the wall, show you where stocks are trading. Another new high for the S&P today. Dow's been up three or four days. Rates are down again. Tech is leading. And let's get right to our headliner today, the Wharton professor, Jeremy Siegel. He is a noted bull. However, now he says he's a little worried. Professor, good to see you. Anytime a bull like you says they're a little worried, I need to talk to you. What's up? Well, I'm not I'm not worried yet, Scott. Uh, I, I still think we're in a strong bull market, but I, I think interest rates and inflation are going to rise uh, well above what the Fed has projected. Uh, we're going to have a strong inflationary year, I think four to five percent. Uh, the Fed is going to have to hike sooner and certainly the, the crazy dot plot that it put out last month. Um, but in the meantime, enjoy this ride. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep on going. Well, for how uh, long? For how long? How long does it go? I, I, I mean, I can see it. In, you know, I can see it toward the end to the end of the year. Uh, because even though interest rates go up, if inflation goes up more, it still pays to borrow, right? I mean, you know, 3% borrowing shouldn't be scary if you have 4% inflation. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, you're still going to gain by that sort of borrowing. But eventually the Fed is just going to have to step in and, and say, wow, uh, you know, it, we're just having a little bit too much inflation. And that's the time uh, to be cautious. I, I would not really be cautious right now. I still think bull market is on for 2021. Well, OK, so, Josh, pref- the professor says you've got eight months now. To, to let this run, let it ride, Josh Brown, and then, you know, you can worry about it later, but certainly not now. You agree with the professor? Man, the professor is one of my all-time favorites. Jeremy, so good to see you. So good let me, let you, me throw this out to you. Yeah, yeah, let me throw this out to you. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, arguably, there's going to be a moment this year where the Fed has to, they won't use the word taper, but they have to state the obvious, which is there is absolutely no reason for them to be buying tens of billions of dollars worth of financial instruments every month. Agreed, completely. We don't have liquidity issues anywhere in the system, and none of that is going to put waiters back at their jobs. Like, I don't care how how many AAA-rated corporate bonds you buy, none of that's going to put people back to work. So we all know that, and that'll be before we talk about rate hikes. So the question is, isn't that the buying up? If that produces a 10 or 15 percent tremor in the S&P, isn't that like a classic buying opportunity? Like, isn't that yeah. what you if, want if it did, to have happen? Josh, that I moment? don't think it will. I, I mean, re- really, you know, just stopping the buying 
while the economy is so super strong and look at the pricing power that corporations are going to have um, and people are going to say, yeah, so they stopped buying. I mean, is that where where am I going to put it's again, where I'm going to put my money. Long term bonds become even worse. Yeah. Cash is going to depreciate. You've got to be real assets, got to be real estate or stocks. They're both real assets. And you're going to turn around and say, OK, they're tapering. But where am I going? But right right now, what, what you're saying is, I mean, I've heard people this week throw out Goldilocks, Professor, and yeah. they, they talk about the liquidity in the market. There's cash on the sidelines. There's oh, pent yeah. up demand. There's earnings expectations which continue to go up. The Fed's not doing yeah. anything anytime soon. You no. agree with that? Nothing soon. Uh, but, I mean, they're, you know, honestly, you know, Powell is playing the game with Biden now because he wants to be renominated February of next year. Um, and I think there's a game here. That's why he's being so compliant. I do think the Fed recognizes the danger, but we have to think about who is going, Biden going to reappoint. And uh, I think he wants that job. And once he gets that job for another four years, he could be much tougher on Inflation. Oh, come on, Professor. You're, you're, you're insinuating that, that Jay Powell, the Fed chair, it was, wouldn't do anything simply because he wants to get re-nominated by the president of the United I, States. That he won't raise I, rates, even I, if the economy says he has to, because he wants to get I re-nominated? Come he on. Go, he is going to go slower. I, say, I didn't say he's going to do nothing. Actually, I do believe the taper will end before year end. Now, whether they're going to actually start raising rates depends on unemployment and all the rest and the pressure that comes from that. Okay. But he's going to err on the side of he's going to err on not taking away the punch bowl, as the, the old expression about the Fed, um, because I do think that he wants a renomination. If he if he goes against them, said this is a crazy program, you got we're way too inflationary and all that. Uh, you know, Biden will just pick up a Democrat that that won't type. Yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he did learn his, his lesson, too, about about. Yeah, I getting, mean, draw, I, drawing I mean, the I'm ire not of the president. It's going to get out of hand. I'm not calling for double digit inflation. I'm not even calling for high single digit inflation. I've said this on the show, uh, you know, many times in the past. But I think we're going to have four or five percent inflation this year and next okay. year. Okay, that's but, gonna be what's but gonna Steve happen. Weiss, the, the bottom line, what I what I take from the professor is full speed ahead, that there yeah. there is nothing to worry about for eight months minimum. Is that is that right, Steve? The way things look right now. Yes, that's right. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's anything. And I think the professor would agree with this, that he said that the market's not aware of. I'm going to respectfully disagree. I don't think Powell is going to do or not do anything to get the uh, nomination again next year. We don't even know if he wants it. And he's not going to sacrifice the economy, not going to sacrifice inflation so that he could be reappointed to the position. I just don't see that happening at all. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll bet against that. In terms of the market, look, the mark, the good news is that we've seen with rates and the 10 year, it's going to get us there before the Fed. So when the Fed comes out, we're not going to see the taper tantrum like we've seen before the last time that Powell rose, uh, took rates up too soon. We're going to see a nice measured response. Doesn't mean you won't get a knee jerk reaction, but the market is absorbing it. Look, if you had said you're going to get close to a million jobs on Friday, 
You would have expected to come in Monday, as I did, and see a little pressure on the bonds. But you didn't. So the market is already used to this 7 to 8% GDP. It's used to inflation picking up, and it's used to an economy that's going to explode. And the fact the Fed, yes, has to come in and do something. But right now you buy it, and if the market okay. corrects, as Josh says it may, and I think it may, knee-jerk, then you buy more. You don't shy away from it. Okay, because so, inflation is going to mute the return bonds as well. I got you. So, Professor, I got to ask you this then, because the other debate we've had this week as to whether this is a true sweet spot for stocks or it's as good as it gets. And it sounds like you could have maybe a little bit of both. We've, we've said, well, it has to be one or the other. Maybe it is both. This is truly the sweet spot for all of the reasons that I said earlier, Professor Siegel. But you also think this may be as good as it gets, because when you start to get a rise in inflation, the Fed's hand's going to be forced, and then all bets are off as to what happens with stocks. Well, then it's going to get, it's going to get tougher. Now, I'm, you know, we have a producer price index tomorrow, CPI next Tuesday. Maybe not this March month. I'd really be looking at April, May, June. I think that's where you're going to begin to see those price increases uh, uh, really come. And I do think the bond, the 10-year, is going to rise at that time. But still, people are going to turn around and say, OK, so there's more inflation and the 10 years rising. What am I going to do with my money? Does that mean I want to be out of the stock market when they have more pricing power than they probably have had for two decades or more? No, not yet. Yeah. And, and Doc, maybe the best sentiment of the week is the VIX. Right. The, the VIX uh, going is, down below 20, quite decidedly, people are saying there's a lot of support behind this market. No question. Dr. I, J. I, right. Uh, the VIX is it's barely over 17. Yeah. This is the lowest it's been since the yeah. pandemic, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right, Professor. John Nigerian. Yeah, you're right, Scott. But it got low enough today that that trader known as 50 cent, you know, that comes in and buys big upside calls did exactly that today, came in and bought 140,000 July 25 calls. That doesn't mean that the trader uh, believes that we're going to explode to and through 25 to the upside. No, but how can you quickly. not buy it at but, 17? Uh, My God. Exactly no, it went right. Down to you nine, are exactly but, right, you know, Scott. Before the pandemic. Yep. 17 is um, high in a bull market. Very, yeah, well, okay, your, point, your point's uh, well, well taken I, relative I, to where it was. Let's try not to talk over each other as well. John Najarian, please continue. Sure. Um, Scott, I think the, uh, the overall theme here is that uh, when it does get cheap, Pete and I both say, that's when I want to buy that insurance. It was cheap. It broke through 17 today. I think it got down to about 1655 or so for the VIX. Cheapest we've seen, you know, in a year. And the fact that we got down there and that people are hedging is a good thing, Scott. That's, that shouldn't be the canary in the coal mine. Oh, we got to run away because, you know, 50 cents buying, uh, you know, upside calls in the VIX. And since it moves inverse to the market, that means we've got to fall apart. It means that somebody who runs a multi-billion dollar portfolio was smart enough to buy some protection just in case. So don't disagree with the professor, um, except about inflation. I don't think it gets quite as high as he thinks. But... He's got a lot more uh, letters after his name than I do, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to defer to him on that. Yeah. But it, nonetheless, I do think that we're going to see a nice move out of the markets over the next several months. OK, I mean, it, it's so relevant to the conversation we're having now. 
uh, the timing of Sarah Eisen's conversation, which is happening right now uh, during the IMF's debate on the global economy. Fed Chair Powell with her. Let's listen in. Chair Powell, the U.S. is, is going fast and, and is the driver of optimism in the global economy right now, thanks to three pharmaceutical companies, thanks to a lot of fiscal stimulus, and of course you and your team at the Federal Reserve. We just got a great jobs report, a record services number. How strong of an outlook of a rebound are we looking at for this year? So thank you, Sarah. Uh, so there are a number of factors that are coming together to support a brighter outlook for the U.S. economy. Uh, which looks like faster recovery and economic activity and job creation. I'd point to substantial fiscal support, vaccination now moving quickly and on track to allow a full reopening of the economy fairly soon. We vaccinated at least over 100 million Americans have had at least one vaccine. Over 60 million are fully vaccinated, and we're doing something like 3 million per day. So that's moving right along. And, of course, monetary policy is still supportive. And we got a taste of what faster progress will look like with the March employment report, close to a million jobs, particularly if you add in the uh, revisions for January and February. And we want to see a string of months like that so we can really begin to show progress toward our goals. Um, the recovery, though, here remains uneven and incomplete. The burden is still falling, falling on lower income workers. The unemployment rate in the bottom quartile is still 20 percent. There's still eight and a half million people out of work. Uh, and this, this unevenness that we're, that we're talking about is a very serious issue. Um, uh, facts, viruses are no respecters of borders. And until the world really is vaccinated, uh, we're all going to be at risk of, uh, of new mutations. And uh, we won't be able to really uh, uh, resume activity uh, with confidence all around the world. So it's not only the right thing to do, it's also the smart thing to do, as, as the director general just said. When you talk, when you think about... Chair Powell, the substantial progress that you'd like to see. You, you mentioned a number of the economic indicators. Do you pay attention to what's happening with the globe, with, with what the three other panelists were just describing in terms of the speed of vaccinations, the speed of recoveries? They're not doing as much on the fiscal front as we are here in the United States. Does that matter for how fast you are going to start the exit strategy, start talking about tapering and the path to normalization? Well, so what we've said about uh, about our asset purchases is, is that they would continue at the current pace until we see substantial further progress toward our goals. And that will really mean actual progress. We're not looking at forecasts for this purpose. We're looking at actual progress toward our goals. So we'll be able to measure that. That's uh, inflation. It's also maximum, the, the indicators of maximum employment. I would look at global vaccination as uh, as, as a risk, really, uh, to something to weigh in as a risk to to uh, the progress that we are making. So it's something that we track very carefully, of course, and call out as a risk. And by the way, there's a risk here in the United States as well. Cases are moving back up here. And so I would just urge that uh, that people do get vaccinated and continue socially distancing. We don't we don't want to get another outbreak, even if it might have less economic uh, damage and kill fewer people. It'll slow down the recovery. Managing Director Kristalina, how, how how long should central bankers All right, we'll like continue to monitor that, but that's Sarah's exclusive conversation uh, with that group, which includes the Fed chair. All right, Jeremy Siegel, the professor, just back to you for a comment based on what you just heard. Here, I'm going to bottom line it for you, okay? Um, yeah. Here's the, the, the Fed chair. We're, we're not doing anything anytime soon. That's basically yeah, what mean, he says. I the recovery he, I is so Uber, uneven. Uber um, so uneven. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the recovery. Don't worry about tapering. We're not going to even do that anytime soon. 
And right. I'm not worried about inflation in any way, shape or form because everything's so uneven anyway. We'll deal with it when we have to deal with it. And that's a long way down it. the road. I, I, I have never heard a Fed chair so dovish. I mean, uh, and, uh, I, you know, I wonder sometimes why he ignored the, you know, over 20 percent increase in the money supply, 150 year high of stimulus provided in 2020. Forget about everything that's now being added in 2021. As Fed chair, um, he's being, I think, too dovish. And uh, I gave you my theory about why, but um, you know, we we will we will see what happens on on that uh, on that score. Well, I mean, in he, the meantime, he he, he and you um, maybe move the market um, because. That's the headline for, for me is, is your statement. I have never heard a Fed chair more dovish. Yeah. Well, it's been for a while on Powell. Um, uh, given, given what the stimulus has been, that's, uh, you know, and I have a history of looking at monetary aggregates and all the rest. And uh, what, I, what I see the stimulus that is put in has caused me to say there's going to be a lot more, lot okay. more inflation. Okay. Let than me hear, what he said. Let, let me hear from Tiffany. Um, Tiff, okay, you've had the benefit of hearing everybody's opinion. You've heard the Fed chair, and you've heard the professor, <laughs> one of the most notable bulls that I can ever remember, say I've never heard a Fed chair more dovish than what we just heard from Jay Powell. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting, you know. So, so you you gave us our two choices, you know, is it as good as it gets? Or are we in a sweet uh, on the sweet spot? And I I would argue those aren't our only two options, right? And so um, I definitely agree with the professor, of course, um, you know, because <laughs> he is who he is. Um, and I, but first of all, I wouldn't really presume to know what Powell's thinking about his position. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea what he's thinking about. But I do believe there's no room for worry here, right? So um, <clears throat> I'm not worried, <coughs> excuse me, about the Fed activity. Um, it, you know, I don't think that they're going to do anything in, um, anytime soon. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit hard, uh, as, as some some of our, uh, as, as we've said a little bit here um, uh, today. Um, I'm not worried even about uh, increased corporate tax rates. Um, but I do believe, of course, we're not going to see the type of returns that we have been seeing. Um, I do, but, I, you know, I also believe there are, are going to be winners and losers going forward. Um, so I'm really focused on the names that I believe are going to do well regardless. Um, and, you know, I, I'm looking for opportunities to buy the things that I love okay, so, um, on a dip. So, so, so Josh, me, Brown, really simple. Josh Brown, what, what, what do you want to buy with the most <laughs> dovish Fed share of all time, according to the professor? Well... Well, I, I, I don't I don't know that I would like recalibrate a portfolio, a retirement portfolio full of assets based on any one comment from uh, Jay Powell. Uh, I agree what Jeremy just said, though. Um, sounds about right. I can't remember anybody just out of hand completely dismissing the rapid asset price gains that we've seen. And like you look at like home prices. Like, is there any reason to think that the market needs increased stimulus with 20% gain in the price of a, of a median home all over the country? Like, is there any reason to think that that market is under such stress that we need to make it possible for more 3% mortgages? Because whatever benefit you're getting as a home buyer in the form of a cheaper interest rate to borrow at, you are losing that and then some in the purchase price of a house. It's a knife fight in Florida. 
So don't cheer for how cheap your mortgage is. It's a knife fight. You can't buy anything. Um, and so I think we're, we're at the stage where people are staying long the market, staying bullish because of all the dovishness, fine, but growing increasingly concerned that, hey, this actually isn't that big of a benefit for me anymore. It's going from being stimulative to actually being uh, difficult, hard to run a business, hard to find people to hire and, and pay them an appropriate way. So I think we're in danger of crossing over to that point where people start to say, okay, this was a lot of fun. I liked watching my portfolio double, but now things are costing more than they should and it's impacting the way I live my life. I'm not saying we're not there. I'm not saying there aren't still people that need help. I'm just saying the blunt instrument of continued asset purchases and 0% overnight rates uh, is about to cross over. I think that's going to happen. So, Steve Weiss, in this environment that we're talking about now, do I want to stay with this year's winners, right? The cyclical slash reopening stocks, right? The, the ones last year, remember, I, I read this stat to you guys earlier in the week, the top 25 stocks in the S&P last year or the bottom this year and vice versa. Do I want to stay with those kinds of stocks that have been working so far this year or do I want to start rotating back to this year's laggards, meaning some of those high growth tech stocks, which are going to be perhaps susceptible to issues if the professor's right and you can, and you get more inflation than the market's counting on and you get rates moving higher than the market is comfortable with? I think you want to be balanced. So, no, you don't want to go back to the Zooms. You don't want to go back to the Teladocs. You don't want to go to the Snowflakes. I just don't want to go there. Haven't been there. Not going there now. Because, yes, eventually rates are going to go up. And I think the, I think the jig's up there. Okay? We've seen now that the studies that are coming out, you're better off being in the office than working from home for a bunch of reasons. And a lot of CEOs are coming out and say, we want to get them back. And you will. So for a bunch of reasons, you don't want to be there. So you want some balance. Inflation will pick up. I don't know it's going to go to 5 to 6%. I don't believe it will. But nonetheless, you're seeing some. So you want to be in some stocks that have inflation attributes that benefit, like LYB, Lionel Basel, we'll tell them in, uh, and others that benefit from construction, from the stimulus play. Uh, you want to be in also reasonable tech, Garpy tech, like the ones we've talked about, semis, We've seen now, we've talked about for years, how it's broad going to every industry. We're seeing proof of that now. So you want to be there. So you want to be in stocks that will benefit from a burgeoning economy, stocks that will still grow anywhere. So a balanced portfolio is okay, where you want so, to be. So, so some of the sickles are too high priced, though. All right. But, but now, Tiffany, I got to go to you because Steve Weiss is just, just saying you don't want to be in the Pelotons anymore. <clears throat> and you don't want to be in the Zooms anymore and you don't want to be in some of those other stocks that you're in and have bought more recently because you continue to believe in the story hey jen for some reason i dropped um, we'll yeah. figure out your audio doc don't worry about it tiff go ahead 
Yeah, so I think you have to take each one on a case-by-case basis, right? So you cannot paint these these high-growth stocks with um, with a broad brush. Um, so I'm looking at something like uh, a Pinterest, right? And so you know, Pinterest is going to do well. Uh, did well in the pandemic. Uh, did well. Is doing well right now. Um, of course, had a little bit of a, um, a dip with um, some of the uh, uh, downward momentum, um, but it does have staying power. Um, again, we have to look at all of these things. Um, individually. Zoom, I mean, I've talked, you know, um, over and over again about Zoom. Do I like Zoom still? Yes. Am I buying Zoom right now? No. Um, but again, you know, and, and for me, it's always about rebalancing. Um, it's not about buying something that I love for the long term and letting it kind of like run, up, uh, uh, run amok. Uh, you always have to be rebalancing. So um, again, I think each of these names has, um, you know, has uh, I've got conviction for why I should stay, um, but then you know it, it really just depends. These are names that I bought not because I liked them during a pandemic or in a reopen situation. These are names that I bought because I like long term. Whether I continue to buy more depends on the individual name. No, but it really just but, depends. But, but in fairness, look, part of your thesis has been, and you've said it on the show, that you know the world has changed. Mm-hmm. I think you use those exact words. Yeah, it has. It, assuming yeah, that the yeah. Pelotons and the Zooms are going to work no matter what the situation is. And Steve Weiss is basically saying, no, that, that's not true, because when we all go back to living our lives a different way than we've been living for the last 13 months, the, we're not going to want to stay mm-hmm. at home and, and, and buy a Peloton, and we're not going to want to stay home from the office. We're going to want to go shake somebody's hand or give them a fist bump or whatever you're going to do, but you're going to want to see them in person. You're going to want to work at a desk, and you're not going to want to Zoom anymore. And thus, the growth rate of those companies is going to be different, and the earnings power and trajectory is going to be a lot different than it's been over 13 months. That's not an individual case-by-case story. That's a thesis problem. No, yeah. yeah, no, no. Absolutely. And so, so again, I don't think that, that their growth potential is, is done. I think it's definitely going to be changed. Clearly, the pandemic accelerated their growth, right? But I still think that there are opportunities for Zoom. Um, there are certain things that we're not going to do in person anymore, right? I, I don't think that you know, business travel is going to be the exact same um, situation that it was before the pandemic. And now you know, we're kind of opened up to this world where you know, kids can see their grandparents on Zoom from across the country. I do think that, 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 that there still is some opportunity here. Of course, the growth is not going to be uh, the same way that it's been in the past uh, 13 months. Peloton, I have my Peloton. I'm still using my Peloton. Um, and I like Peloton also for its streaming service, right? Right. Um, And so and and that's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I don't see this big, huge uptick in growth uh, in the way that we've seen it in the past 13 months. But I don't think that these uh, especially the the two stocks that you named, um, I do think the world has changed. And I do think people listen, I bought I bought a Peloton. I know people who clearly who have bought Pelotons. I don't think they're going to just, you know, uh, get rid of their Peloton. No, but who cares um, if they get we can now go out. But that's not honestly, that's not what the question is. It's a matter of who else is going to buy it. Right. Who else is going to continue to buy them? We yeah. know everybody's bought them already, but, you know, that only takes mm-hmm. you so and far in terms streaming. of growth. Let me get a last word from Professor and Siegel. And for streaming. Sorry, Tiff. I, I want to get a last word from the professor before yeah. I let you go. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that yeah. kind of conversation? Cyclicals versus some of these high flying growth stocks, Professor? Well, basically, remember, stocks are claims on real assets, land, capital, trademarks, copyrights. Real assets is what you want in the economy that I foresee and inflation. And it isn't until the Fed finally leans really hard, then you have to work. I mean, we could have a market go up 30% before or 40% before it goes down at 20% when he really has to do that. Mm. So we're not in the ninth inning here. 
we're more like in the third inning of the boom. The third inning. Wow. You keep giving us too many headlines. Professor, we'll talk to you again soon. You stay well. Thank That's you. Jeremy Siegel at the Wharton School. I know we'll see you again soon. Straight ahead, the investment committee making moves in the market, plus a big call on one software stock. It's already up 45% in a year. We'll debate how much runway is still ahead. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Our call of the day. Salesforce, top pick Bank of America. They reiterate the buy rating. They say it believes a long runway still exists for 17% organic revenue growth. Uh, it's already been a nice winner. And Tiffany, you own it, so you have to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think you know, Salesforce is one of these names that I think absolutely does have staying power, uh, regardless of what this new world looks like whenever we get into it. Um, you know, we've got JP, we've got, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon coming out and saying, you know, yesterday, uh, you know, in, in his annual shareholder letter that, you know, JP Morgan is going to be in this kind of like hybrid model in terms of, you know, work, employees that are going to be working uh, um, solely at home and coming into the office and everything in between. And I think that that's going to, that is the case for work right now. And I think a company like Salesforce, in particular Salesforce, for since since they are a market leader, um, really is positioned well to take advantage of this. Um, it's you know of course it's it's helping uh, employees excuse me employers uh, and employees manage their pipeline, and I think it's it's uh, going to be really important, especially doing it in a hybrid model. Steve Weiss, you prefer Microsoft over Salesforce. You want to tell our viewers why? Yeah, frankly, I don't think you can compare them. If just to give you some numbers, uh, pre-tax margins for. Salesforce is 17%, 40% for Microsoft. EBITDA margins, 22% for Salesforce, 49%. And I can go on and on. The valuation isn't comparable. And you've got Salesforce.com, which we've seen, has to make more and more acquisitions to keep their growth going. And so that's more like a roll-up at this point. Plus, we don't know if Benioff is sticking around or stepping down. More likely the latter. Look, Salesforce is a great company. But in terms of the valuation, I just don't see it when I've got Microsoft that's got a much better business. It's got a much better renewal business. That's the one I'd rather own. Unless you say, OK, I look at the fact that Salesforce is down 20 percent from its high and Microsoft is hitting another new high today. And you say, OK, well, let's say let's say the professor's right. 
and we're in the third inning of a boom and the market's going to continue to go up for a minimum of the remainder of this year. Isn't Salesforce going to be part of that run and get back towards its new high, if not set a new one? Sure. You don't have to own just one. But if I had owned just one, to me, it's not even a tie. I mean, Microsoft is clearly the one. Even though Salesforce has come down a lot and has recovered somewhat, it's still much more expensive. So why not own Microsoft? Microsoft had the Salesforce valuation. The stock would double from here. Josh Brown, you think CrowdStrike is, is the stock to pick out of, out of this conversation? Yeah. So, so to echo Steve's point, like Salesforce is not exactly cheap. And I already own like one of the most expensive stocks in, in this sector. I can't own two. can't own five of them. So uh, that's where I am in, in software. I think CrowdStrike is the most exciting idea that I'm involved in. But the valuation's nosebleed. So I don't want to compound that by also owning um, Salesforce, which, you know, 10 times sales. I, it's a, I, I don't know. It, it's a great company. We're customers. We use their, uh, their wealth management cloud, their financial services cloud. We were one of the first firms in our industry to migrate onto it. I'll never leave. I can't leave. It's too expensive to move my data. So um, Salesforce has a client of, uh, for life in us and millions of other companies. So I think it's an amazing business, but I'm just I'm invested in elsewhere in, in other ideas. I hear you. Uh, some other notable calls on the street today. Rahel Solomon joining us with those. Rahel? coverage of William Sonoma with an outperform here and a price target of 214 a share. So analysts point out their ability to attract millennials and retain new shoppers that it got last year. Now it also mentions the strong luxury housing market. Scott, this is one that has really ripped in the last 12 months. The market cap is currently around 14 billion. A year ago, it was 3 billion. Next week, semiconductor is being downgraded to equal weight at Morgan Stanley. Target here goes to 213. So the firm does like the company's position in autos and new growth drivers such as battery management systems for EVs, but also feels like the stock is priced appropriately. And J.P. Morgan, adding FedEx to its focus list, analysts say that even after the epic year for the parcel delivery companies, fundamentals have still improved. They also say that as the economy reopens and offices open, FedEx's B2B segment should be a significant tailwind. You can see shares are up about 1.3%. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Monster year for FedEx, though, Rahel up 125%. Thank you for that, Rahel Solomon. All right, John's latest unusual activity coming up next. Before the break, though, let me show you the S&P sectors today. We'll see what's leading and lagging. It's tech up. You know, rates are down. There's the 10-year 163. So technology, discretionary, having a good day. s and is good for almost 16. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden has announced half a dozen executive actions to address gun violence. They include increased requirements for background checks of gun buyers. Biden says that the moves are reasonable and legal. The idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. Let me say it again. 
Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. In Northern Ireland, unionists and Republican leaders have put aside their differences to make a joint appeal for an end to violence that's gone on for nearly a week and injured dozens of police officers. The violence is partly fueled by frustration over post-Brexit trade barriers. And a new study is putting specific numbers on COVID mortality rates for people in hospitals. Merck Research Labs looked at more than half a million patients and found that death rates peaked at 19 percent last April and dropped to 9 percent in November. Scott, you're now up to date. I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, thank you for that. Want to update you once again on Sarah's exclusive conversation with the Fed chair uh, and company uh, today. The latest headlines, the J-PAL saying upward pressure on prices is likely temporary and the price hikes from tight supplies won't repeat itself. So staying very much in line with his view that inflation uh, is temporary, transitory. Pick whatever word you like. He's used them both in, in recent weeks. Uh, and he continues to believe that. All right, unusual activity, Doc. What do you have? All right, Scott. Well, you guys were uh, teasing me with that Peloton talk just minutes ago. And as Tiffany loves hers, I bet there are some people who are thinking it's a little highly priced and valued right here. They're buying the May 100 put, Scott, with the stock at 119 So somebody's betting that a lot of the, that backlog of those Pelotons could be cut pretty substantially, much like, you know, when Boeing had its issue with the 737 MAX. Um, that, to drive it through 100 by May, that's a pretty big drop. Second trade, Scott, AMRS. This one, they're buying the June 16 calls. The stock's about 15.52. Um, I liked both of them enough to jump in on both, so I'm on the short side on Peloton. I'm long puts out in May. And in this one, I'm in the June 16 calls. They're basically the at-the-money call, probably be in those two months. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, the reopening in big tech, how one firm is prioritizing the trades as they forecast a digital attention recession. We'll tell you the names that they prefer out of that list right there. Not all of them either. We're back after this. Welcome back with the economy on the road to reopening. Needham's Laura Martin out with a provocative new note today looking at what she calls the coming, quote, digital attention recession and the associated risks to some of the most widely followed tech names. So here how she, here's how she plays it, um, Josh. She likes Apple over Amazon, if you're sort of pairing them up here. Apple over Amazon. She likes Roku over Netflix and Facebook over Alphabet. Mm -hmm. Now, I should preface all this and say she has a buy on Apple, on Amazon, on Roku and on Alphabet, okay? She's hold on Facebook, and she has an underperform on Netflix. But pairing these things off, and it goes really to the conversation we're having earlier, right? We're about to get on with the rest of our lives, yeah. and we can't wait to do so. So some of the bigger winners are going to be losers compared to some of these other big names, like Apple over Amazon. What do you think about that one specifically first? And then I, I want your take on Facebook Alphabet, because I know how much you like Alphabet. Yeah, I own both Apple. First of all, I completely agree with her premise, a digital attention uh, recession, just because she was saying last year the amount of time the average adult spent consuming digital content in any form uh, was seven hours, 50 minutes. If you think about a typical adult is awake 16, 17 hours a day, that's a third of our time binging TV shows uh, and or watching YouTube content. It's not sustainable. It's not going to be that way. So if you assume, as she does, lopping 15% off um, of, the, of that total amount of attention we were giving 
to digital content, then you ask which questions benefit from us spending less time doing that and more time doing other things. I think that part is where I, I have a disagreement. I don't know that you can actually derive uh, an Apple versus Amazon based on that premise that easily. Um, so I, I get what she's saying. Where I do agree, I think things like Netflix and Disney are probably going to have tougher comps in terms of how much time and attention people are devoting to that programming. So maybe that's where it's a better well, trade it, to just kind of avoid things that have gone up a lot what on do you digital make, streaming. Sorry to interrupt you. I just want to make sure you answer this one for me. What do you make of the Facebook over Alphabet one? That To me, that doesn't no seem sense. to make a lot of sense, right? You, you've positioned Alphabet as one of the ultimate recovery, back to business, back to life trades. It is, and it's been estimated that somewhere, they don't break this out, but uh, somewhere between 10 and 15% of Google's advertising revenue come from the travel segment. So it's hard to understand this call. Um, and then, of course, there's also the ultimate uh, reopening play, mobility, and Google's Waymo, I think in the second half of this year, you're going to start to see a lot of news coming out about that. And if you look at the way Uber and Lyft have been trading um, as the recovery's been opening, um, that's all hidden with inside the, the value of Google. And I don't think Google's getting much credit for what's happening there and what could happen. So I think she's, so again, I agree with the premise. I don't love the execution of doing these pair offs one versus the other. I don't think it's going to be as clean and neat as, as the way she's uh, laid it out. But Steve, when I look at these names, um, how do you view them, right? Not, not everything on this list may work uh, in tandem. Right. You may have some trade offs based on the premise that Laura has put forward today in, in her note. What do you think about it? You know, I, I view that the matchups is very arbitrary and, and dissimilar. I mean, you know, Facebook and Alphabet and I own both. I own options in Facebook and stock and Google for a long time are driven by their ad spending, uh, you know, spending that comes to them. It's going to continue to grow if spending cuts back then you got issues with both. I don't see that happening. In terms of Apple versus Amazon, she's got down earnings for Apple for next year, 23 over 22. I just don't see that. Look, let me, let me be clear. For, for our viewers, look, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry to interrupt right. you. I, I just want to be clear. She's sure. not negative, okay? She's not negative on Apple no, in any way, shape, or form, and I don't want people to get the wrong idea. She has a buy rating and a $170 price target, and frankly, that's one of the higher price targets than than we've had of late. Remember, um, you had Katie Huberty reduce her price target this week to mid-150s from 160, uh, and you had you know, another price target in the maybe 150 or 60 range as, as well this week. So she's by that, she's by Amazon, she's by Roku, and she's by Alphabet. She's just hold Facebook, and Netflix is the underperformed. I just want to make sure we're all, all you know, on the same page. Right. So l l let me answer it this way, and, and, that, and that's a great uh, clarification. Um, I think it's a good analysis. I enjoyed reading it. It's food for thought. I just don't think it really applies to the stock picking. Even if hours, viewing hours go down, they're still going to be the best companies in what they do. So you want to own them. And frankly, you may want to own all of them. I don't own Netflix or Roku. To me, I'm just not going to own those at this point. But I do own the others, and I'm going to stay with them. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, Steve. We'll take a quick break. Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll put them on the air. Email us. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We're back in a couple minutes. Let's answer your questions now. Tiffany, I'm coming to you first. Stefan in Germany. 
Is Costco a buy amid the current correction or rather a hold sell as inflation headwinds grow for consumer staples? Thanks a lot. What do you think? Yeah, no, so we're not really in a recession anymore. We left that recession back in 2020 where it belonged. Uh, and so we're actually in, an, in a, uh, a new bull market right now. Um, I do like Costco. Uh, it did pull back a little bit, so it's a good time to buy. And just think about pre-pandemic, uh, people were still going to Costco, and they will still continue to go to Costco. It's one of my favorites. Okay, Josh, to you from Use, who is all the way, he says, in Kuwait. Uh, amazing getting a question from Kuwait today. Thank you so much for that. Uh, appreciate the yeah, depth you bring that. in, Josh. Any thoughts on Sonos? Those shares are up 73% year to date. Yeah. So, uh, like, first level thinking, you would look at this and you would say, oh, it's consumer electronics. It's going to be another Fitbit. It's going to be another whatever that camera company was. But then when you really dig in and look at what's going on here, you realize this is m way more than a consumer electronics play. Um, and they're, they're, the reason the stock's had such a big year, they're targeting $2.5 billion in annual revenue uh, within, the, within the next two years uh, to get to that level. 500,000 paid subscribers for their own in-house music streaming platform. And they have 11 million households using their products. They want to get to 100 million. So I think this is a serious competitor. Um, I think it'll stand its own ground. It's working very well with auto manufacturers now great partnerships. Um, so as long as Apple and, and Spotify don't cut this company's throat, which I don't think they can from a regulatory standpoint, I think this company can, can survive and innovate and, and do well. So I do like it. And uh, I thought I would hate it, but I didn't. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Steve Weiss to you from Mark in Denver. Thanks, Mark, for the question. Mr. Weiss, I bought XPO last year at the bottom. Is it still a hold? It is still holds, probably even buy. The company's going to split into two, and the part's going to be worth more than the whole. The business is going great for them, and the economic boost will only drive earnings further. Okay. Thank you for that. Final trades after this quick break. All right, let's do final trades. Tiffany, you first, because you have a new buy. Yeah, William Sonoma. So uh, Rahel just mentioned that the price target was raised. <laughs> and uh, for us, it's luxury at a reasonable price, so we like it. Okay, that's William Sonoma with a nice uh, day today, up 3.5%. Dr. J? Mm -hmm. um, XLE, Scott, uh, down pretty hard over the last month. I think it makes a big bounce right about where it is and then heads back towards 54. Okay, Steve Weiss? Cleveland Cliffs, it's down 10% since they announced some great numbers. It's going to recover, particularly with the professor's inflation outlook. Yep. Josh Brown? Mida. PayPal is a reopening stock. When groups of friends go out to a baseball game, that's how they split the cost of the tickets. Don't get it twisted. Stock is rallying again. It's not a stay-at-home stock. PYPL, my man. <laughs> All right. Uh, a nice day for that as well. Uh, thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.